0: Welcome to the Next Element podcast. We're here with Dr. Nate Regeer, CEO, co-founder, and owner of Next Element, to talk about how to have more productive meetings. Nate is the author of the book, Beyond Drama, and his latest book, Conflict Without Casualties, is now available as well. Nate blogs at nextfromnate at nextelement.com. Welcome, Nate.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here, and today I'm broadcasting from our headquarters in Newton, Kansas, and we're in a train station, so you might hear some trains in the background.
0: (laughs) Okay, no worries. So Nate, obviously obviously meetings are a big part of any leader's life, and one of the best opportunities to make a positive impact. The problem is that meetings can go wrong quite often. You've written that drama-filled meetings are pretty commonplace and drain everyone's energy. What are some features of drama-based meetings that people might experience whether they realize
1: it or not. Well, it is true. As much as we would like meetings to be productive all the time, uh, more time, more often than not, they seem to be full of drama. We're surprised when we come into companies and, and they, they're very proud of the initiatives that they've taken to gain efficiencies and save time and money and reduce waste. And then we sit in on their meetings and we're appalled at the amount of money that is literally flying out the windows uh, from the drama. Here's three of the what I would say the three biggest signs of meeting drama. First one is that only one or a few people contribute. So the loudest talkers tend to dominate the meeting. A second sign that you might have meeting drama is that the same issues seem to be rehashed over and over and over and never really get resolved. And then the third sign would be that the real meeting begins after the meeting. Whether it's gossip, complaining, pass aggressive behavior, it seems like the real issues don't actually get talked about in the meeting. Right.
0: So you mentioned money flying out of the windows. So what does meeting drama actually cost a business beyond just being an annoyance?
1: Yeah, beyond just stressing us out, it's time, money, and efficiency. It's expensive to get people together. And the higher up in an organization, the more expensive it is. And if, if we're not making decisions and working together as a team, to advance our strategic priorities, then why are we together? If, if the only outcome of your meeting is to schedule another meeting, I guess you're wasting your time. And so relationships are really built and torn down when people come together. And so if the time together doesn't reinforce that we're worthwhile and that we have an important contribution, then the meeting is really just tearing down the organization. One example of a client that we worked with They told us that they saved $50,000 in the first year just in meeting time after they implemented uh, our principles in their executive meetings. And they calculated simply on the amount of time that they spent in the meeting. And they calculated that based on what they were paying their executives and figured that all of the shorter meeting times meant that they had more time out on the floor doing the work of the company. And it added up to $50,000 in a year.
0: To hear a lot of the same language used in meetings, especially when things go awry. I'm guessing that a lot of these phrases, like, this meeting is a complete waste of time, are really code for other feelings that are revealed through drama. Can you talk about how we can decode these messages?
1: I like that you use this metaphor of code. Uh, you know, people say things without really saying things. And at the end of the day, people want to feel included. They want to feel valued. And they also don't mind being challenged in healthy ways. So they wanna be able to trust both their peers and their superiors that it's gonna be a great environment. And here's a couple behaviors and what they really mean. Generally, when people don't speak up, it's usually code for, I don't feel safe, or it doesn't really matter what I say. Uh, People that escalate or lash out, usually that's code for, I'm not feeling heard. Uh, You're not hearing me. And typically, when people dominate meetings and talk over others, it's usually a sign of insecurity. Or it could be that they're just afraid that they're not measuring up, and so they feel that by dominating everyone, they'll somehow gain respect. Um, One of my codes is I tend to spend a lot of time over-detailing and over-qualifying, and I explain things too much. And really deep down, that's just my own insecurity that people might not think I have good ideas or that my uh, contribution is valuable. So those are some of the behaviors, drama-based behaviors we see in meetings and what they might really mean.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That all makes a lot of sense. So I've also heard you talk about the Drama Resilience Assessment, or DRA, before. So can you explain the role that a DRA can play in helping me understand my role in meeting drama?
1: Sure. We designed the DRA because... It's important for people to have an objective assessment, and sometimes putting a number to it can make it more real. And so we've designed this online assessment where a person can complete a series of questions and get a really good measure of their own risks for drama, and then also their potential for what we call compassion skills. And it's great to help people take an honest look at their own behaviors and attitudes and and see how that might be helping or hurting themselves and their team. The DRA, like any assessment, it's just a snapshot, it's just a point in time, but it is important to raise self-awareness, and if people want to set goals, they can use the DRA as a great benchmark to do that. The DRA is central to every course and every program that we do. Right, so
0: I know you've suggested leading meetings with compassionate accountability, so does that mean I have to be all touchy-feely and sensitive?
1: Well, yes and no. Of course, it's important that you show care and concern for your people. No question about that. And of course, it's important and critical that people feel safe and valued. But there's more than that. The phrase compassionate accountability also includes the word accountability. So great meetings balance, and great meeting facilitators balance the need for care and concern and safety with real problem solving and commitment and follow through. Because ultimately, we come together because there are things to get done.
0: Right, that totally makes sense. So how can I proactively prevent drama? I've sent meeting agendas before, but is there a way to incorporate what you're saying into an agenda to try and conduct a well-structured meeting?
1: Yeah, there is. And our compassion cycle model lays out a framework that balances the skills of openness, resourcefulness, and persistence. And those are all really important whether it's dealing with the meeting as a whole, or even dealing with a specific agenda item. So here's how it might look. We would start the meeting with openness, and so we would foster that through activities that welcome people, invite them to check in and see how they're doing, and and create a place where we're friendly and we show that we actually care about each other. Moving to resourcefulness then is the part of the meeting where we start to solve problems. And here it's really important that we emphasize that everyone's voice gets heard, that all ideas are welcome and that we don't let the loudest people dominate, otherwise we don't get the creative input of the other people that are there. Persistence then is the third skill and this is where we focus on commitments, finalizing action steps and getting crystal clear about who's doing what and when is it due and who who are you accountable to. And so That very same process can be used on a small scale with each agenda item. And skipping any one of the three can lead to very predictable consequences. We've seen drama-based teams where they don't ever do openness. And so it's a very hostile place, but they're very, very, very task-focused. Or we might see environments where it's all open, but they never get down to problem solving and they never make any commitments. So everybody loves to come and enjoy the meeting, but nothing ever gets done.
0: Right. I also think it sometimes takes me a while to get the ball rolling in a meeting. How should I be opening my meetings, and while we're on it, how should I be closing them?
1: It's a great question, and we hear that from a lot of facilitators. And we could apply the same ORP, or Open Resourceful Persistent Process, to opening and closing a meeting. So let's say we wanted to start a meeting. The first thing we do is just welcome the group um, and show them that you care about them by doing a check-in. A check-in is just a time when any, anyone or everyone can briefly share how they're doing. And this is not about project reports. It's about their own well-being. You know, how are you feeling today? Are you do you have energy? Are you excited to be here? And then we might, then as a facilitator, you might quickly review the agenda and the outline. So going to resourceful to get clear about here's what we're going to do today, here's the outcomes that we're looking for. That's resourcefulness. And then end the opening statement by perhaps reinforcing and reminding people about the purpose and the non-negotiables. Maybe it's uh, that, hey, our goal today is to get this done, or it might be that we made some commitments about getting some things done and we got to follow through on those. It might sound something like this. Welcome, everyone. I am so glad to see each of you today. I'm looking forward to our time together, and I'd like to hear from each of you about how you're doing. Who'd like to start? Everybody checks in and then we move to, great, each of you have a copy of the agenda. we got a lot to cover today and some important decisions to make. Does anyone have any questions about the agenda? Okay, great. Ultimately, I want to have closure on items 3, 5, and 7 because our deadline is approaching and we did promise that we were going to give a client an answer this afternoon. So let's get started. There's an example of how we would do an ORP meeting opener.
0: That's great. Um, So based on your experience, what are some of the top behaviors or phrases that you've noticed that can derail a meeting?
1: Well, perhaps the most obvious ones that we hear is when someone presents an idea or a concept and someone else says, oh, we've tried that before. That is the most common one we hear is a new person who's maybe naive, throws out an idea, and an old timer says, we tried that before and it didn't work that's a big derailer. Another one might be where someone starts to share something and then says, oh, never mind. And you can tell that there's something important on their mind, but they don't feel safe sharing it. And then the obvious just flat-out disrespectful statements like, that's a dumb idea, or why would we ever try that? Those are some examples of things that can major derail a meeting.
0: Somewhat related to that, obviously, in meetings, a lot of decisions get made, and that can be a tricky situation sometimes. Do you have any tips for avoiding drama while navigating the decision-making process?
1: Yes, and I would say one of the number one reasons for a meeting is to make decisions. And so, often decisions fall apart because either people don't want to take enough responsibility for the decision, or they take on way too much. And the challenge is facilitating clarity around each of those decisions. So I'm going to make a decision now to wait a second while the train goes by. We have four, four tips for when it comes to a decision, how do we make sure that that decision is brought to closure and that we ensure good follow through. So if we were going to, if we were if I was facilitating a decision, I would want to be real clear with the group. What is the actual action step or task at hand? So we all know what it is that somebody's going to do. Second thing is who's responsible for doing it, and a second part to that is are they willing and able to do it? Very often we delegate things to people without their consent and without them even even knowing whether they're able or even taking on and accepting that responsibility the third item is when is it due when is this supposed to be done and finally uh, circling back with does the person responsible want or need any help very rarely do we follow up with that person and say you know here's what's going to happen it's due by this time and you've accepted to do it do you want or need any help and by doing that it fosters this, this uh, notion that we're in this together and it's okay to rely on people, even if I might be spearheading the particular agenda item. And I think these four steps are the most important things to document. So many meeting minutes document everything except what's most important. And when we document the results of these four steps, we can avoid statements later like, oh, was I supposed to do that? or well, I felt pressured to take it on, but I didn't really have what I needed to do it, so I didn't. Or how about, I don't remember, did we talk about that? Right.
0: So one other thing I've noticed throughout my career is that there's always that one person who dominates the meeting. It usually blocks other people from contributing or makes the meeting feel hostile. How do you deal with that type of personality in a meeting?
1: It's a common problem, and... A lot of leaders are naturally assertive, they're excited and passionate, and very often they don't mean any harm. They're just, they're, they're maybe unaware of how their behavior affects other people. And it, so I think the first step is it's critical that, the, that people are honest about how they feel when this happens. We can't assume that a meeting dominator really understands how their behavior impacts others. So somebody has to speak up silent victims are just as responsible for the problem as the loud dominators. And so speaking up and letting that person know is the first step. And then the next step is to talk about strategies to let everyone contribute and prevent that person from dominating. And amazingly, if, if that is opened up to the group, usually groups can come up with some really good ground rules for that. And by participating in those ground rules, they're more willing and able to step up and enforce them. Maybe a simple ground rule is that everyone gets a chance to offer their topic or input on a topic and nobody can can, uh, say their piece until they have asked a follow-up clarifying question. And that really focuses on us seeking first to understand instead of to just get our word in edgewise. Keeping dominators at bay also, though, requires assertiveness and skill by the facilitator because it's important that the facilitator confronts the behavior, asks that person to stop and give others a chance. And usually when when the less vocal people start to trust that the facilitator will manage that, they, their courage starts to go up and they're more likely to speak up and stick up for themselves. So those are those are some tips that we use and it's been very effective in helping meeting dominators gain greater awareness of their impact and then also get help from the rest of the group in keeping it at bay.
0: Yeah, those are all great tips. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep those in mind during my next meeting. Well, thanks again, Nate. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast today.
1: Well, you're welcome. And uh, boy, if we could just change how meetings happen, think of all the time and energy we could save getting, getting on with uh, getting the most important things done and actually getting together and feeling good about each other when we do that.
0: Absolutely. That was Dr. Nate Regeer from Next Element. This is the Next Element Podcast.